Hi, this is Paul Metze inviting you to listen to a very golden replay on the Wall of Power Radio Hour this weekend. Three years ago, I did a special broadcast and show celebrating Bob Dylan's 75th birthday. We are replaying this weekend in honor of his 78th birthday. We have some very special interviews, including Leroy Hoikala, Bob Dylan's first drummer in his band, The Golden Chord, Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday at 4 p.m. on AM 950. Hi, this is Paul Metza. You are listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. In honor of Bob Dylan's 75th birthday, we are going to replay several shows we recorded two years ago about Bob Dylan's beginnings in Minneapolis. This show was originally aired on May 24th, 2014. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Myself, like hundreds, if not thousands of musicians, have been influenced by Bob Dylan. I'm going to take this opportunity in honor of his upcoming 73rd birthday and take the next couple of radio shows and feature some folks who have influenced Dylan and who have been influenced by Dylan. Bob was born in Duluth, Minnesota on May 24, 1941. He moved to Hibbing with his family several years later and upon graduating in 1959 from Hibbing High School, moved to the green pastures of the University of Minnesota. North of the campus was a magical place called Dinkytown, a bohemian and musical mecca where musicians like Bob Dylan, Spider John Kerner, Dave Ray and Tony Glover, along with Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson, started to do some of their first professional gigs. We are going to hear some of that music and hear about those times in the next hour. Up first is Charlie Parr, a powerful folk and blues performer who aptly lives in the town of Dylan's birthplace, the Zenith City, Duluth, Minnesota. I had a great opportunity yesterday to play a gig at the Ashland Folk Festival where I bumped into my old friend Charlie Parr. I've known Charlie for over 10 years and uh, got to hear him when he was just getting started and hadn't heard him for several years and it was just a really phenomenal inspiring show, Charlie. You are really turned into one hell of a talent. Oh, well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. It was, uh, I love the banjo and the guitar and uh, the fact that you, when you're doing those old traditional tunes, you do every, you do, it seems like every verse, you don't leave any out. I really enjoyed that. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, the, 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 the kind of trajectory of those songs, you know, well, you know this better than anybody, but, you know, you listen to those songs and, and they are, a lot of them are traveling verses, you know, so that they make, they, you hear them a lot of places, but in, in the context of certain old songs, those, those verses all fit together like, like someone really specifically sat down and planned it out that way. And that's the way I think of those songs. You know, I, I think of them as, as being, you know, uh, uh, a piece of a whole, you know. So I, I always, I always kind of, you know, leave all the verses in because I, 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 that's how the song seems to me like it's supposed to be played. But Well, and when you perform it, it, it develops sort of... Uh, almost a hypnotic rhythm, and the verses just keep, you know, they're like uh, waves upon the shore that they get stronger with each wave, and, and by the end, man, it's it's a beautiful thing, let me tell you, from an audience uh, member. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. What really kind of jumped out at me last night, we all know, you know, a lot of Dylan's source material over the years, he's used from old folk and blues numbers. And you were playing a tune, I Wish I Was a Mole on the Ground, where you sang the line, the railroad men drink your blood like wine. And I said, yes, that's from Bob Dylan's, or Bob Dylan uh, used that in Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. I'm sure at some point in your uh, development, or probably even the present day, you've spent some some serious time listening to Bob Dylan. Oh, of course. Yeah, when I was when I was coming up, my my sister liked Dylan a lot. You know, and, and my house was funny because it was, you know, the the living room where my dad's records were. It was you know Jimmy Rogers and Johnny Cash, and Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly and Lightning Hopkins, and back in the back room where my sister was, it was 
Bob Dylan, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Grateful Dead. (laughs) Well, you couldn't go wrong with any of those two rooms as a library of sound, could you? No, no, I was fine. I was just roaming the house, you know, and then... And then when I started to, to learn how to play, you know, and and got, you know, I used I used both of those records as roadmaps to, you know, people that I came to to treasure, you know, like like uh, 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 Spider John Kerner and Dave Van Ronk and Dave Ray, you know, and and you know people that I actually had an opportunity to get to, you know, get a chance to see and and even get to know, like last night, you know, Spider John is on the bill. And, and those guys, uh, you know, meant the world to me and, and informed my, you know, my playing and my writing a lot. beautiful tradition with both Dave Ray, I, I think, and John Kerner. Oh, thank you. I mean, those guys really, honestly, have meant, meant the world to me, and it's, I've been felt pretty lucky to be able to, you know, well, you know, like I said, you know better than anybody, though, the cities is, is, is a pretty amazing place to, to to be able to hang out and and and, uh, and see see music, and your, you know, yourself, and guys like Dakota Dave Hall is still running around, and times when you could go down to Central and, and, and see Dave Ray play the 12 string. It's just, you know. Uh, you know, I felt like when I moved to Minneapolis in 1978, I felt like a kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. Dave Ray was doing Sunday nights at the old artist quarter on 26th and Nicollet. And this was back when he had a ponytail down to his belt. <laughs> and uh, he still liked to have a, the occasional shot of whiskey. And he would. He would play 12-string, he had a beautiful old Gibson Birdland, and he'd read poetry. And he held forth for three to four hours every Sunday night, and I don't think I, I missed one. Uh, in fact, my personally, my guitar playing, especially when I do single-line solos, they derive directly from those Sunday nights with Dave Ray, because he would take off play single-string solos on this Gibson Birdland that were so angular, bluesy, and soulful. At times, I thought I was listening to Ornette Coleman or John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was thinking about it's funny, because I was thinking about this last night. I forgot what song that Sonny was singing, and you, you, you left the ground for, for quite a while there, and, and it did. It, you, could, you, can, you, can hear, you can hear Dave's influence on, on your playing, oh. which is a high, you know, high praise, I think. And I remember seeing Dave I think one of the last times he made it to Duluth, and he played Jimmy Bell on his 12-string, and he played the whole song, and it was it was amazing, and I was in heaven. And, and then, you know, near the end of the song, he you know he left the earth for for quite a while, and 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 he he rambled around this wild wild solo, and it was amazing, and I didn't know where it was going, and, and time stopped, and all of a sudden he was playing Jimmy Bell again, you know. <laughs> And we were all kind of back in the room again, and I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's just, just... Genius, a sheer genius. Absolutely. My baby's long and tall, shaped like a cannonball. Every time a little girl loves me, man, you may hear me call, she says, we. What were those early Dylan records that you heard that you really started to connect with musically? I well, I think I think the first Dylan record I heard was the one another side of Bob Dylan, the one with "Motorcycle Nightmare" on it. I think is what it's called. It's hilarious, the long kind of talking thing that that Dylan did. Um, Bob Dylan's Dream or something like that was on there, but um, and I, I really, really loved that record. And it, you know, a lot of it had to do with that, you know, the movement of me going from bedroom to living room, you know, and you know, hearing Woody Guthrie in the front room, and then going to the back room and hearing that record, which was obviously really, really influenced by Woody Guthrie. And right. I think the thing that put it all together for me was, you know, here's here's 
you know, here's the here's the next step. You know, Woody Guthrie was a step, you know, from from some point prior to him that we don't really have that much access to. But here's another step. Well, probably in Woody's case, I, I think the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers were oh, sure. real and influences he, on on Woody. Absolutely, and 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 you know, even old hymns and you know. I'm sure right. all kinds of players along the road that he got to meet. And, and, you know, and here's Dylan, you know, just for me, that record, you know, another set of Bob Dylan was, was a demonstration for me more than anything else of the fact that this is, this music, you know, in a, in a very real way belongs to all of us. You know, we can all gain access to it. And we have, you know, it's not a privileged music, you know, it's, it's, it's the people's music. And, and I really, uh, I think we all owe Dylan a huge, uh, huge debt of gratitude for for making that point clear i'm waiting for the day to see the see the uh spider john bob dylan uh package tour yes and the sooner that happens the better off everyone's going to be as far as i'm concerned i think so too Follow you down, baby. Let me follow you down. Lord, I do anything in this God Almighty world. Have you just let me follow you down? Can I come home with you, baby? Can I come home with you? And I do anything in this God Almighty world. Have you just let me come home with you? a diamond ring I buy you a wedding gown and I do anything in this God Almighty world if you just let me follow you down baby let me follow you down baby let me follow you down and I do anything in this God Almighty world if you just let me follow you down I just want you to understand, baby, please understand. Stay tuned to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. The award-winning Hazel's Northeast combines the feel of a small-town diner with the vibrant nature of its Northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. Whether it's breakfast, lunch, weekend brunch, or dinner, their classically inspired and creatively prepared American comfort food is always made from scratch. Hazel's Northeast at 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. EatLocalMinnesota.com the dedicated staff at Nightingale Restaurant take pride in presenting a thoughtful and delicious approach to food and drink, whether you're visiting for dinner, happy hour, or brunch. Their focus on made-from-scratch meals using sustainable and local ingredients is likely to make Nightingale your go-to spot for inspired food and drinks. Nightingale, Lindell and 26th in Minneapolis. 
Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and Native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shambot from Shambot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. We always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says, If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. This is Paul Metzen. You are listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. In honor of Bob Dylan's 75th birthday, we are going to replay several shows we recorded two years ago about Bob Dylan's beginnings in Minneapolis. This show was originally aired on May 24th, 2014. Minneapolis in 1978, I got the chance not only to hear the king and queen of the Minneapolis folk scene, but they became good friends as well. They were Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson. Bill passed in 2010, but uh, I just get a chance to see Judy yesterday, and she's recovering from knee surgery, but was nice enough to take our phone call and to tell us a little bit about the early days in the Minneapolis folk scene. Judy, how are you feeling today? I'm pretty good. A little sluggish, but I'm fine. Well, good. Say, we had a wonderful time yesterday at the Black Forest meeting a bunch of veterans of the 10 o'clock scholar music scene. The 10 o'clock scholar, of course, was the coffee house in Dinky Town. When did you and Bill start playing there? Well, I think, um, see, I... Try to remember if it opened around 1959 or 1960, and uh, I was uh, anyway. It was either in high school or fresh out of high school, and uh, looking for a little fun, and ended up in Dinky Town with a good friend of mine. We could bike over there from St. Paul, where we lived over by the farm campus, and uh, we started to meet a lot of people and I think the first first people I saw in the window playing on a stool was probably Kerner Kerner or um, uh, I, yeah it could have been Dylan too I don't know um, what do you remember about the young Bob Dylan when you met him he was just uh, fresh off the Iron Range yeah well he was kind of cherry cheek and short hair and he wore a, kind of like a London Fog uh, uh, little trench coat huh. and he wasn't skinny <laughs> well, he's, he still had his, uh, his kind of baby face yeah he still had his baby face so mm -hmm. did uh, what kind of do you remember what he was playing back then uh, you mean the guitar? No, no, what kind or of material? The tunes? Yeah. Oh. Um, 
I'm trying to remember. Uh, at the, at, I can't remember exactly the first. It was it was a learning thing, you know, like the rest of us. We learn off of records, and um, it was all pretty new, you know. And um, uh, I'm just trying to remember. Did you get? Did you learn together? Did you get get a chance to play together? I know you told me a great story when you used to take the bus together over to the Purple Onion in St. Paul. Yeah, that was, um, he'd gotten a little gig there, and um, that was kind of nice, a little run run over on the bus and just keeping a little company Mm -hmm. over there. We, We played in rooms up up in the on 14th Avenue, right over 4th and 14th. I had a little room up there, and uh, my friend Miriam had a room. And um, oftentimes that... we sat up on the rooftops on, on the buildings hmm. on hot nights and and um, little privacy. Kind of the beatnik, we... kind of the beatnik version of Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, we were kind of vultures sitting up there. It would be cool, try to cool off. Uh, Maybe wasn't much of a wind or anything, but and we could sit up, sit up there, and nobody could really hear us either. And um, so we we played tunes. I can't remember the tunes that we played. They were, you know, they were pretty simple tunes. We didn't know too much, too many, you know, our. Our guitar playing got better as we went along, but um, I know Kerner, Kerner, he played Alberta, Let Your Hair Hang Down, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, he was just so, such a young guy, he was kind of serious, and Dylan was too, but he, Dylan was hungry, he was very hungry to, to learn things, and I... And um, when he went to, later he went to New York, and he was gone for a while, and that was when he met Woody Guthrie. And he, I remember he came back, came back one time, and uh, he was going to play at the coffee break. And uh, so I think Max Mueller was setting it up, setting some microphones up, and and I can remember Bob showing me. He said, "Look at this." He says, "I got Willie's, Woody's belt." He said, "This is Woody's belt." <laughs> he was so proud of it, and he said, "Who wouldn't uh, be?" Yeah, and he, and he, um, uh, you know, he talked about the book. Bound for glory. Yeah, and he, and I remember he called that the Bible. Hmm. And of course, there wasn't much awareness of of uh, movements here, you know, and civil rights movements and things. And you know, it was just dimly coming along, and some of us learned it right through the music. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, we ended up in Dinky Town just looking for a good time and meet uh, some different people. We sure did. I'm out here a thousand miles from my home Walking a road other men have gone down I'm seeing a world of people and things Air poppers and peasants and princes and kings Got three, I wrote you a song About a funny old world That's a-coming along Seems sick and it's hungry It's tired and it's torn It looks like It's a-dying And it's hardly been born Guthrie, but I know that you know All the things that I'm saying in a minute You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Stick around, and in the next segment, listen to a great conversation with Dinkytown legend Dave Morton. 
Hi, I'm Brad, the engineer here on the Wall of Power Radio Hour and a graduate of the Minneapolis Media Institute Recording Program. At MMI, I was able to study something I'm passionate about and turn it into a career. So what are you waiting for? If you're interested in audio production or designing video games and websites, take the first step. Visit mediainstitute.edu and get registered for the next open house. Meet the award-winning faculty and test out the studios for yourself. mediainstitute.edu. Enroll, graduate, work. The entire buying experience with Rudy Luther Toyota is so worthwhile. Every new Toyota comes with Toyota Care, two years of free maintenance with every new Toyota purchased. Their super staff is wonderful, always ready to help. And there's the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchase, you'll get three years of 10 cents off per gallon of gas at holiday station stores, as well as discounted car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy in your Rudy Luther vehicle. Head on over to Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts, 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. There's no question you need omega-3s. But which form should you take? Fish oil or krill oil? Scientists have debated this for years. Luckily, there's a new solution to satisfy everyone. It's called Krill Omega 50 Plus. It combines ultra-pure fish oil and joint-soothing krill oil together in just one tiny pill. It's so powerful, it can promote the health of your heart and your arteries. And if that wasn't enough, it can also boost your joint comfort in just days. We're so sure Krill Omega 50 Plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-647-1579. 1-800-647-1579. That's 1-800-647-1579. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. P. You are back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. File this under Take What You've Gathered from Coincidence. As I was putting this show together, which I will call Dylan in Dinkytown, Judy Larson called and invited me to the Black Forest Restaurant in South Minneapolis for a reunion of many of the veterans of the 10 O'Clock Scholar. What you are going to hear next are several of the conversations I had that afternoon, and after that, a conversation with Dinkytown legend David Morton. Okay, we'd be sitting in the scholar having a nice conversation, and in would come this kid, you know, playing his songs, and I think, oh, God, here comes that kid again, you know, playing his damn songs. It, uh, you know, I just, you know, want to drink some coffee and, and have a conversation, and it, it's very irritating. <laughs> That's it. But let me ask, Red Nelson, what did what do you remember from hearing a young Dylan back then? Did you you think he had any promise? He was he was as good as you could be when you were that young, but he didn't show a promise that he would become some iconic figure or as 
for the proliferation of the music that he's put out, I would have never, never in my wildest dreams thought that was the man. But time has uh, shown me that my uh, perception isn't all that good, or wasn't that good. All right, I'm here with Fred Hoffman. Fred, what were you doing in Dinkytown in the uh, late 50s, early 60s? Oh, I was trying to uh, be a beatnik <laughs> and um, uh, reading Howl, going to Makasha's uh, bookstore, buying Howl when it came out, and uh, I've still got my copy. Now, do you remember hearing the young Bob Dylan, or maybe his name was Bob Zimmerman at the, at the time, at the Scholar? Well, uh, no, I never saw him at the Scholar. But um, when I came back from Europe in uh, 1960, uh, the fall of 1960, I stopped by a friend of mine's apartment, uh, uh, Dave Whitaker, who is now known as Diamond Dave Whitaker. And uh, Bob Dylan was sitting there, and and, uh, and he would play his guitar over at, at uh, Whitaker's place. Um, I remember one of the problems was that he uh, had played at the Scholar, and Clark Batho had refused to pay him for playing. Um, and uh, so Max Euler and Bob and I went over to the Scholar one evening and, um, and uh, demanded that Clark pay Bob for his playing at the Scholar. Uh, Batho was uh, reluctant to pay until Max uh, Euler pulled out his pearl-handled 22 automatic and waved it under Batho's nose at the cash register, whereupon the, uh, the, the cash register was rung immediately and the money was produced and handed to Bob. What was the payday that particular gig? I think it was maybe $20 or something like 15 <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> there was a fellow that I read about years ago in Robert Shelton's biography of Bob Dylan called No Direction Home. And there was a couple paragraphs in the book that said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And they were talking about a fellow named David Morton, who uh, the student was Bob Dylan, the teacher was Dave Morton. And I have him on the line. David, how are you today? Pretty good. Good. How's, uh, how's the weather in Cook, Minnesota? It's raining and cloudy. When did you start playing music yourself? Let's see. Pretty young. I had piano lessons. That was maybe junior high. I... Didn't get my own guitar till I was 12, but I learned on my mother's guitar, which was a gut, you know, a classical type guitar, which is easier to play. Yeah, I was 12, but it was steel string. It was cheap, a monkey words, I think. <laughs> what, uh, what, what kind of songs did you start to play in the beginning? G general folk songs, you know, we before it became popular in the modern sense. And what years would that have been, David? Oh, 12, and I'm 74, so... Anybody have a calculator so out there? I got my guitar, so it's been a long time. I'm so, probably about 60... in the 60s, 60... long time ago. Right. Well, it sounds like if you were 12, probably sometime in the 50s. That was when I got my own guitar. I already knew, you know, I mean, our, our Christmas album was The Weavers. It was a 10-inch LP. Okay. Well, Pete Seeger and a bunch of people. Didn't you see Lead Belly at Northrop? Hmm? Did you see Lead Belly when he performed at Northrop in 1948? Oh, yeah, Lead Belly on his last tour? Yes. Yes, he came to North Auditorium at the University of Minnesota. What was the... where the symphony played before they built themselves a new thing much later. And I was in, what, I think it was fifth grade. 
Wow. What were your impressions of Lead Belly? Well, it was mostly students, you know, from the university because it was a noon thing for, you know, you could come in there and eat your lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew some of those songs and... So I, I, my mother took me out of class, and we took the streetcar over. So I was, I, I knew some of his songs, and I had a lot of friends that took up the twelve string much later, like Dave Ray, and all. They all played it. Of course, Lead Belly was the quintessential twelve string guitar player because. Not many other people played it. The king of the twelve string, as he yep. was known as. And uh, like Dave Ray, he was. If I was in fifth grade, he was probably in kindergarten <laughs> or first grade. So. When did you start playing then in in Dinky Town and what and then the West Bank? I graduated high school in '57, and I went to the university for two years, or a little less than two years. But I dropped out. Well, you, Bob Dylan, and I have something in common. We're all University of Minnesota dropouts. Yep. When did yes. you? That's a good club. <laughs> when did you? Uh, uh, when did you bump into Bob Dylan? Well, he showed up one fall to go to the university. Mm-hmm. And because and so did well, Kerner showed up in town that fall also. Johnny Kerner. Right. I just saw John last night. He said to say hello, by the way. Yep. Hello, John. But they, they both showed up in town. And around Dickey Town, it, it was a small town, so you got to run into people. And I started, when I moved out and was staying there, I started playing at the Scholar by myself. I was the first guy to play there. Was it essentially a, uh, a coffee shop? Non-alcoholic. Yeah, it was a coffee venue. shop, basically. You know, espresso and simple sandwiches. You know, you could get some lunch stuff. I think I, I may have read poetry before I played music. So I did that too, mm-hmm. reading poetry at places. But I played with it alone, and then I had, well, probably Kerner and Dylan had come and gone. I, no, I, I did play with two banjo players, one at a time. Thank God. The first one just played the banjo, old songs. He was a student of old songs from England and, and Appalachia, and the other one was a quiet grasser, it's too. <laughs> quiet grass. That's what I call it. <laughs> other people would know it as bluegrass, but, uh, but I get it. Now, what about uh, Dave Whitaker and Hugh Brown? What were those guys up to? Well, Hugh Brown was my age. He was in from Rochester. And once we got cars, we visited. Whitaker was in U High. Was he a grade ahead of me? I think so. He was probably one of Dylan's, one or two of Dylan's political teachers. Because Dylan didn't really read books. So what did Whitaker Whitaker turn him on to? Well, he was a, a he wasn't a copy, but he was called <laughs> that. He was in high school at UI too, and I he went to the Unitarian Church where I went, so I knew him quite well. He just showed him to you know he would talk about stuff you know socialism and treating you know I turned him on to things. Because Whitaker read a lot. Well, it's like Woody Guthrie said. He, he goes, I'm not a communist, but I've been in the red most of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> According to Robert Shelton, you had quite an influence on Dylan, a young Bob Dylan, not just musically, but uh, uh, according to the book... Tell me if I'm wrong. You introduced him to like uh, Eastern religion and impressionistic art and philosophy. Yes, I was a, an artist as well as a musician and a writer of poetry and fiction. And I don't know if I influenced him or you know, like I said, I did show songs where I wrote the music and the words rather than the old, the old style. Mm-hmm. And. 
I think that was, I think I got him to, through his head that you could write your own tunes. It's not easy. I think the two, if you're a poetry, if you're a poet, you've written poetry, you can write, and songs tend to rhyme. Mm-hmm. A lot of poems didn't rhyme back in the 60s. You know, they were modern and wild, but... So, that's what... One thing if I taught him was that you could come up and write your own person, you know, tunes... And the songs, and he, you know what? He did pretty damn good at it. <laughs> I guess so. You know? Well, I think the world owes you uh, 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 a large collective thank you, David Borton. Well, David, it's really been a pleasure talking to you, and I will look forward to uh, seeing you the next time I, I uh, make my uh, sojourn up to uh, northern Minnesota. Yep. And uh, and bless you, and have a, a great day, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that the sun will come out here for all of us soon. Okay, do Thank you. Thank you, David. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? And where have you been? My darling young one I've stumbled on the side of twelve misty mountains I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways I've stepped in the middle of seven side forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans been 10,000 miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard, and it's a hard It's a hard, and it's a hard And it's a hard rains are gonna fall Oh, what did you see? Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals and we're making the dirt dead and then we're adding nitrates to the water and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. It's Greek to Me is now open from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. Be sure to join them for lunch. With warmer weather upon us, their magnificent Grecian patio is open. It's Greek to Me is located on the corner of Lake and Lindell at 626 West Lake Street in Minneapolis or at itsgreektomemn.com. In addition to free side street parking, there is metered cross street parking and a toll lot behind the restaurant along Garfield Avenue, as well as the Dulano's parking lot on Lake Street in Garfield. Did you realize that Drink in the Style is available on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast platform out there? You can listen to past episodes of Drink in the Style, or maybe download our really cool martini glass graphic, or just listen to your favorite episode again and again. But if you do, I need to ask you for a quick favor. Hop online and give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show and also boosts my fragile ego. Drink in the Style. It's a great way to kill Sundays or really anytime at all. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. This is the first of three shows we recorded, broadcast on May 24th, 
2014, we're going to listen to a little bit of Charlie Park and then go to one of Dylan's old running buddies, Spider John Kerner. Enjoy. We had a nice backstage conversation, and we're going to play a little bit of his performance from that same show. All right. I'm backstage with Spider John Kerner at the Ashland Folk Festival, Mother's Day 2014. And he's kind enough to uh, take a few minutes here and just uh, answer a few of my questions. Do you remember your first gig in Dinkytown? Well, I can't say for sure, but it was probably in the... Scholar, the 10 o'clock scholar. And where exactly was that? What is that building still there? Uh, I don't know if the actual structure is still there or not, but it sure doesn't look like it used to. Yeah, there used to be apartments, old funky apartments above that place where we used to party and like that. And, but the Dickey Town's all different than it used to be. Right. Was that, did Red Nelson? Run that joint? I think Red had it for a while. There was a guy named Clark Batho had it for a while. Dave, another guy named Dave Lee had it for a while. Yeah. So who was, uh, who was like playing that, that joint and others that time besides you? Well, I was there. Dave Ray played there. Uh, trying to think of the other guys. There was a guy named Jerry Gooch. Uh, Dylan would. Dylan came down there and played. Uh, it's it's hard to remember all of them, but it did was he, that did kind you, of a crowd. Did did you guys do some some duo gigs together, you and Dylan? Well, I don't I don't remember actually singing and playing with him. However, in his autobiography, he remembers it. Yeah, well, yeah, either either he remembers it or he's making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we we played there used to be a place called the, the Purple Onion over in St. Paul I think it was on Snelling or something like that and uh, we both played there and some other places and at parties too you know it was kind of a free for all right did he steal any records from you <laughs> was he kind of notorious for copying people's records and learning their songs I've heard the stories I, I don't know any facts about it uh, but he didn't he didn't steal anything from me. Well, it's just probably borrowed them if he did.
let me ask you, I know you, you've got to get going. You've had a long day. What, uh, Kern Van Glover, did you guys do two Newport Folk Festivals? Um, I know you, you just played one like last year with your band. Yeah. Uh, back in the 60s, uh, let's see, the three of us, I think, played in 64... And I was there on my own, or maybe with Tony, I can't remember that for sure, in 65, which was the year Dylan went electric. Was, Did you see that show? Oh, yeah, I was backstage when it happened. It was quite... What, what was going on backstage? Well, it's, it, it, it bothered a lot of people, you know. I mean, they, after he done... I mean, I, I know what they were going to be doing, because I'd heard some rehearsal, and it sounded great to me. Right. But he got done playing his first song and I heard this sound coming from the audience and I didn't wonder what the hell is that and I uh, pulled myself over the fence and there was people who were booing and, hmm. and uh, there was a rumor that uh, Pete Seeger was going around with an axe getting, wanted to chop off the electric, electric. And, Pete uh, Seeger axe murderer <laughs> yeah and there was people crying and all that stuff wow but uh, like I say, six months later, they're all starting to try and do the same thing. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza and engineered by Brad Canaber. We'd like to thank our guests and our sponsors. And this is Paul Metza reminding you to be kind and make someone happy. Once upon a time.